I'm Aria Wininka, Miss World Australia National Finalist, and this is my interview with The Pageant Project. Hey everyone, it's Adrian from The Pageant Project with you, my special guest for today being Ariel Beninka, who is a Miss World Australia 2020-2021 national finalist. I don't yeah. even know anymore. <laughs> Me neither. Ariel, welcome. <laughs> welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good, thank you, and thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Uh, how, how are things in Brisbane? I'm hoping they're warmer than they are, are here in Sydney. <sighs> It's slightly cold, but when you grew up in Queensland, your definition of cold is different than other states. Um, but today mm -hmm. it's beautiful and sunny. I used to live on the Gold Coast and every day seemed to be 28 degrees and humid. So when you say it's cold, does that just basically mean it's under 20 degrees? Because you guys freeze when it's under 20. It's currently 19 degrees, so yes. <laughs> <laughs> and that's freezing for you guys up in Brisbane. Uh, so guys watching, I can see a bunch of you tuned in. So if you have any questions or comments for Ariel, uh, whack them in the comments below and I can pass them in. Chloe Roberts is saying, hey, I think Chloe is over in the UK, I think. Or, hey, do Chloe. you know Chloe? I'm not sure. I don't believe so. I mean, where are you coming to us from? I, I th I've seen your name. I think she's coming over from the UK. Uh, anyway, Ariel, let, let's start with the easy stuff. Why don't you tell our viewers how you got into the crazy world of pageantry to begin with? So it all started when I saw an Instagram advertisement for Miss World to apply and I got through to state finals and that was about three years ago now so i wasn't quite ready for that nationals but it really kind of got me started on that path and so i did miss galaxy next as a learning opportunity and now i'm through to nationals for miss world australia um but i think my obsession with pageantry started when i was a little girl because i remember first hearing about miss universe and mm -hmm. i actually made a little scrapbook of all the outfits and dresses i would wear for miss universe and we went around in class one day and they said what do you want to be when you grow up and i said miss universe and the class laughed at me back then and one person even says you're too ugly um Oh, back in God. the day oh, wow. so kids I, think, can be cruel. I know kids kids back then it was a very different different era um and i think now you know i use it as an opportunity to become a better person and really evolve did you catch um any of the miss miss universe international competition uh this year i watched the whole thing it was uh, it was quite a show was, and yeah, um, definitely. Uh, our Australian Queen Maria did very, very well, acquitted herself she very, did. very well. Yes. So you're, it was good to see when, Australia represented in the top 10. It's a shame she didn't go even further, but that's mm. probably a conversation we can have on another day. How, how long ago were, because I had this conversation with someone the other day and we were trying to remember when the preliminary finals were for Miss World Australia and then the state finals, because if I remember correctly for New South Wales, the preliminary finals were back in late 2019 and the state finals for New South Wales are still yet to be done because it mm. got pushed back because New South Wales had a COVID scare. No. Victoria had a COVID scare and the management team of Miss World Australia was stuck in Victoria. So we still haven't had our New South Wales state finals yet. And it's only, what, three weeks to go until national finals. So yeah, when I've, were I've, your preliminary and state finals? So my state finals were a few months ago and I never did preliminaries. I got straight through to states um, because I did states a year um, in 2019. Right. But yeah, I am a bit worried for the states that haven't had their state final yet because they don't have very long to prepare when they do get through the nationals. No, they're going to have like maybe two weeks <laughs> if they're lucky. Mm, if uh, they're lucky. Yeah. Oh, Chloe has said she is watching from the UK. So hello, Chloe. Thank you for watching. 
it is currently 2 a.m. for you. So I don't wow. know what you're doing up. <laughs> but uh, thank you very much for watching. All right. So, Ariel, it's only two or three weeks away from national finals. It's not your first pageant. How are the emotions feeling? How are the emotions going this close to the big day? I am very nervous because I feel like you can never be too prepared. Like there's no such thing as being too prepared and you want to always take that opportunity to practice and develop yourself. Um, but the thing I'm most worried about is my dress I ordered from Europe still hasn't arrived and that's like the main thing. So I'm just really hopeful that arrives on time. Do you know where it is at the moment? I, I'm hoping it's in transit. Is it on its way? Apparently they still haven't even got the fabric for it to make the dress so and i keep messaging like guys oh, no. we don't have long now and they just trust us it will arrive on time i'm like i don't know you don't have fabric so it's concerning oh well yeah um do you have a backup plan it's always good to have a backup plan. <laughs> oh dear <laughs> i think backup plan i would have to um probably find a last minute dress sponsor but this dress I have getting made is the one I'm in love with and that I feel the most confident in. So it would be a shame if it doesn't arrive on time. It, it would. Uh, hopefully, look, hopefully, fingers crossed, it gets there to you in, in more than enough time. Uh, I don't want you to divulge what it looks like, but can you give us any clues, is it, is it, uh, design so or colour-wise? It's a beautiful sparkly blue gown and... The fabric that's getting made for it is quite unique. I couldn't even find anything like it in Australia. Um, and it's got beautiful um, silver jewellery down at the shoulders and I, I just can't wait to wear it. it it's kind like of like one an of a kind. Like, yeah, it's kind of like a bit like kind of elvish, elven queen vibes as well, but then also the pageant vibes with it. That sounds it's exciting. Mm, it's from a country called Kosovo. Have you heard of it? Oh, Kosovo. That's um, okay. yeah. Nice. They they had a they had a horrible war, uh, civil war. I think twenty or mm. so years ago. So yeah, it that that's unusual. How did you find that? So it just happens that all the best dress designers in the world just happen to be in Kosovo. There's so many amazing, talented dress designers in Kosovo, mm -hmm. and I'm. Yeah, it's honestly surprising how recent their war was. Well, okay. So, look, I hope I hope it gets to you on time. I, I don't know what the status of COVID is in in some of those countries, um, but look, hopefully it gets to you because it sounds like it's going to be absolutely amazing. Uh, in terms of in terms of the pageant, what 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 part are you most looking forward to? Because Miss World Australia has a few different segments. So what's the most exciting part for yourself? I think the most exciting part to me is the formal dress walk. Um, but I, I'm looking forward to every part of it because every part, every part of it poses a unique challenge and something you, like different to bring to the table. But Danica, did you compete with Danica when you were in Galaxy? Yes, yes, I did. Hey, Danica. Danica, who recently won, you won Miss Globe, right? Australia, Danica, I don't want to get it wrong. Um, and I forget the girl, <laughs> I feel horrible. The girl that won Miss Intercontinental Australia. But congratulations, Danica. She says, plan B and C, I had three of my garments arrive the week before nationals. I mean, there's there's nothing you can do, is there? I mean, if mm. it turns up, it turns up. If not, you'll have to just uh, make do. Uh, now, Ariel, as um, we were messaging a little bit before the interview, so... You have a very strong entrepreneurial bent. You are a designer and you also have your startup here, Colis, which we'll get into in a second. Uh, do you want to tell people just what your work uh, entails sort of on a daily or weekly basis as a designer? Because it's not just graphics design from what I've, I've seen. There's all sorts of different facets to it in terms of apps, websites. You've done a lot of work for a lot of different industries. So what, what does your work sort of entail on a regular basis? So I'm primarily a user experience designer and a user experience designer's role is creative problem solving. And what we do is we design tools that people like you and everyone 
in every industry would use every day. And this could be something from gym management software, medical facility management software. I've even designed machinery before. Um, right now I'm working on an Airbnb competitor for a travel booking website. Um, and I've worked on so many different things and I just love I just love every project and I love the creative, the creative problem solving that comes with it. So when, when it comes to the user experience, what are some of the, what are the, some of the things that you have to take into account? Because when I go onto a website and I've done a lot of web design work in the past, if a website like Airbnb is not easy to use, is not intuitive to use, um, People just don't even bother these days. They'll no. go to something that's a lot easier to use. So when it comes to what are the sort of what's the sort of process that you have to go through when someone brings you on to work on, let's say, an Airbnb competitor, where do you start with that process? So the first stage is the research phase where you would look at all the kind of competitors out there, everyone that's doing it and look at how they do things and how it can be approved upon. Then I go through the design inspiration phase, which is more of a conceptual design. Look at um, how, you know, to make it brand look and feel when it all comes together. And I think the most important thing is to apply already tested conventions. So when something is familiar to a user, they're more likely to have a better user experience. And the goal is to make it as intuitive and easy to use as possible because it affects people's daily lives and there's a big element of psychology to it as well. Can we dig into that a little bit? Because uh, I, I don't know, when, when you mentioned that it has to be intuitive, that's obviously very important. Do you do, do you have the users like do beta tests and things like this and then get their feedback and then adjust the design based on what the users say? Yes, yeah, sometimes we do. Um, so we would do like live user testing. I've even done studies based off tracking users' eye movements when they're scanning mm -hmm. through digital content and looking at how that affects responsive design because often the design has to change quite drastically from desktop to mobile. and the different user experience depending on the digital device it's on. And I think that's one of the challenge as challenges of the digital designer is having this intuitive experience seamlessly across all these devices. And how, how did you get interested in this in the first place? Because it's quite, um, I mean, you mentioned that when you were in school, you were laughed at because you said you wanted to be Miss Universe. I mean, the, the work you're doing at the moment is quite far removed. I mean, it's still glamorous you're still making things that look amazing but in a slightly different field so how did you get in involved or interested in the field to begin with so i've always been a creative person and done little creative projects um and so i was like how can i turn this creativity into a job so i studied graphic design at university but right. i had somewhere on the line i think i was like in high school like when i was 16 I got extremely interested in how websites work, how they're built, like how I was really curious. So I started actually teaching myself how to code and I'm also a, a front-end developer and I'm doing the front-end development um, for this project now as well. And I did my first little Game of Thrones fan page website. Um, it had snow falling down. And okay. from there, I, I realized there was a big gap in digital designers. Like there isn't that many out there and it's hard to find good digital designers. And my in university, my unique path was filling that gap in the digital world and designing for user experience in web because it, it brings so many thing, elements together. You've got that creative problem solving aspect as well as the design aspect that, mm. and it's something that people use. It's a tool that betters people's lives and that you know has a, an effect on them as opposed to a billboard they might see. Absolutely. Can you just clarify for me? I, I think I understand, but front-end developer, when you say that, what does that actually mean? Because I understand most people understand graphic design, you're designing graphics, but what's a front-end developer? So there's two sides to every development. A back-end is kind of structuring a database and a logic with way things interact with each other and work. So requests, so just say I want to log in, that would be the back-end would be the actual what happens in the database, finding information, yep. matching to the password. Front-end yep. is making everything look pixel perfect and like the layout and the structure of the page so they're kind of like developing the user interface of the of the digital experience 
Right, got it. So backend in a case of something like Airbnb as a database of all the properties around the world or in Australia, and then the front end is how I guess users interact with that information or access that information. Would mm -hmm. that be correct? And also how that information is displayed. Right. Okay. So when it when it comes to your front end development work, is that slightly different to the graphic design? Because I've contracted graphic design designers before to do things like logos or to do I don't Photoshop work. But the front end development, would that be slightly different to the graphic design or completely different to graphic design? Completely different. So uh, we're building workable interfaces and we build websites and we build software, we build apps, um, things that are interactive, whereas the design part of it, it's not interactive. It's just a mock-up or a file that gets sent to print. So when you're you know, doing development, you work with code and you work with different coding languages like HTML, SAS, CSS, JavaScript. Um, and it's a very much not a visual interface, but when you're designing, it's more of a visual um, interface when you mock something up. Got you. Got you. All right. Because I've done programming before, so I know what you're talking about. There are, are there many people who do both? Because I don't actually know many people who do both the design because it's one discipline design and then it's almost a completely different one coding, isn't it? Yeah, there really isn't many who do both. And it's especially even rarer to, to have someone that does both well, because they mm -hmm. are completely different jobs. And if you go back 10 years, they weren't so different um, because everyone was just building, They were there wasn't that design phase. So if you wanted a website, yeah. someone would just build it straight in code in the in like 10 years yeah. ago, in the, probably 20 years ago now. <laughs> That's um, what I did. But, yeah, I, re yeah. I remember those days, yeah, I, I do. Uh, it's a um, good old days. In, in it's got to be, I mean, I've already said it, it's a bit probably rare to find someone who can do both. It's got to give you a huge advantage, though, because I'm just thinking if I was to bring on someone to do, so I was looking at, for example, doing a pageant site, kind of like Airbnb, but for pageants, where girls could leave reviews of their experiences with pageants, and trying to find someone who could do the front end programming of it, but could also make it look good was extremely difficult. And I wasn't actually able to mm. find someone who yeah. could do that. On the other hand, there were people who could sell you a really pretty looking website, but behind it, the database and how people access it was awful. So how mm. how have you found being able to, to bridge both? I mean, you said you taught yourself the skills? Yes. Um, so the reason why I taught myself the skills in the first place was to build my own designs and make them pixel perfect because a lot of the times you might find a front-end developer that doesn't make your design look like what you had done and the padding isn't exactly. perfect the font weights and stuff like that so as a designer the benefit is i know that everything i code will be exactly like how i design and be looking pixel perfect um, and what you were talking about before it's really three parts you have someone you pay someone to design the website, you pay someone to do the mm -hmm. front end, and you pay someone to do the back end. What's more mm -hmm. common is um, front end and back end developers, they're called full stack developers who can do both. Right. This is so funny because I'm learning so much as I go because I, when I was trying to get someone to design this website, I was like, what's full stack? What's front end? What's back end? <laughs> I understood front end and back end, but full stack to me, it just sounded like, you know, pancakes when they have a full stack of pancakes. Uh, it was very, very confused. But I mean, to your point, even the people who said they were full stack, they're not, they weren't really full stack because they weren't good at both. They could probably do both, but they were always, they always seem to have come from one of those disciplines first yeah, and then sort of tacked on the other discipline, but not well. So if they were good at front end and you got them to do anything back end, they weren't very good at it. And I used to do back end work, so I could tell they weren't good at it. And on the other hand, people who do databases very often aren't good at designing anything that's easy to mm. use. If they aren't good at the front end, like structuring the HTML, making it look like the design, if there's a designer involved. Um, yeah, and I think a lot of the times I end up coding for the job I'm working on as a designer is because the front end is far off from what I horrible. design. I'm like, <laughs> horrible. Yeah, and it's horrible. And kind of give up trying to explain it at one stage. I just kind of, there's a point where you're like, I give up, I'm just going to do it. <laughs> And you know it's going to be good quality code um, and exactly like design it. Okay, so then 
building on from that, is that what led you to to be in the process of launching Colis? Because you've got your startup, and I've got it in front of me here, Ariel. So Colis, and your tagline is it's a directory of creative contract talent. Is part of the reason you started that is because of your struggles of finding quality people that you could work with? A hundred percent. I also used to work with a lot of design agencies and we would often need people to come in for certain projects. We didn't have enough resources to do ourselves in-house. And the struggle of finding those contractors when you needed them was real. So I ended up actually reaching out to people in Facebook groups, making Facebook posts and creating a spreadsheet of contractors that we can contact when we needed them because it's about building your own contact list so you know who you can go to when you need them because you might not need them now, but you will need them eventually. And that's why what Colist is, it's a contact list that you can find the right people when you need them. And it's also a digital recruitment platform that aims to replace recruitment because uh, recruitment in the contracting space isn't so you know clear. Different recruiters have different ways of charging for contractors. So sometimes I might subcontract through a recruiter. So um, they're charging the client $80 an hour and um, then I invoice the recruiter $60 an hour. So they take that profit. Um, And there's been one instance of a recruiter even saying that um, the business has to pay them 20% on top of what I charge them. So it's just... It's just not so much of a clear space. Um, and that's what Colist aims to bridge and making it a lot easier to find the right people and not have to involve recruiters. So is it fair to say that when it comes to recruiting contractors that there are some, let's say, less than ideal business practices going on behind the scenes? Look, it's hard to say because you don't know what is normal and you don't know what works mm-hmm. for people. But there is no like, there's no common way of doing it. Um, some some recruiters even just charge a fixed fee for finding you a contractor. But because it's different yeah. from full time, you don't know how long they're going to be working with you for. You don't know um, like how consistent that work will be. If it's a short term project or a long term project, contracting becomes a more grey area. Yeah. So I, I have the website. Are you okay, Ariel? If I bring up the website just on yeah, screen sure. for a second. So I'll show people, because it's one thing to, to talk about, it's another thing to actually look at it. So here, um, now as it says on the website, it's beta launch version 1.0. So yeah. what you can see here is the directory. And Ariel's got herself at the top there as an example. So you've got the names, <laughs> you've got the locations, the skills. So be UX slash UI, web design, app design, product design, all those sorts of things. Uh, available availability is when they're available to work the rate obviously and then the likes it's kind of like an airbnb sort of rating i think um mm. when are you looking to actually launch this because i mean i understand that's just a screenshot or a screen i like how you got jack sparrow at the bottom by the way <laughs> and will will smith i'm just i'm just realizing this now um <laughs> If you Jack look Sparrow. at any of my, if you look at any of my design mockups, we always have to come up with our own dummy content, and I just, I put the weirdest things in my mockups. So there's always little Easter eggs like that. But in no, a platform, kind of actually, to go. <laughs> I, I took most of them out, but I've gotten in trouble for some before. Oh. I put, I put uh, for one of my mockups ones, I put a bunch of politicians in the. Um, for the people <laughs> in the mockups, okay. and I gave them, I gave them really funny titles. <laughs> Um, Please tell me but, you didn't put Donald Trump in there. I did, I did. And oh, I no. Put, I, oh, I, oh. <laughs> that's the one I got in trouble for because they didn't uh, like the tagline. <laughs> I, I can uh, imagine, yeah. Um, yeah, so it's actually, a, you can actually make an account right now for the beta. So you're able to make either a business or a contractor account. But right now you can search the list and see people's profiles and you can contact them through email. But for the actual MVP launch, we want to have direct messaging. So you can direct message those people as well mm-hmm. as job posts. And I really want to get shareable profiles in there so people can share profiles with one another. And it's kind of going to be like a LinkedIn recruitment platform, but you can see people's availability and hourly rate 
already whereas opposed when you're on linkedin you don't know if they've got a full-time job they're not available or if they're even contractors so it's going to become like a really smart um contract list uh list of contractors and mm. have that full workflow involved but right now you can sign in make an account for either and it still functions as a beta, a beta launch when are you looking to take it like uh, take it out of beta and, and make it public once I've, once we've got those features, um, the problem is I've run out of money. And so things are a bit slower now, kind of just kind of doing it when I can. Right. Okay. So you, you, you got to, um, do some startup or, or do everything yourself, the good old fashioned way. Yeah. Uh, have you, I'm imagining you would have, but have you used platforms such as Fiverr, Upwork, um, and, and things like that before? Yeah, I have. So. I actually used Upwork when I was trying to find someone to help myself with a project. And the problem I found with it is you have to pay through the platform. And I didn't realize yeah. the currency was in USD. So I was mm -hmm. thought I was paying someone like 50 AUD an hour, which would be fair. Um, they were based in Russia. Um, but then it ended up being more like over 75 AUD an hour once the bill was in. Um, yeah. And so I find that when you have, when you pay in USD currency, versus Australia when the conversion hits you. I could have found someone in Australia that could have done just as good or a better job for cheaper and paid them in our own currency. So what I focus on with Colist is really finding local people because you would rather have someone near you so you can go have in-person mm. meetings with them. You have that time zone that matches up. And if you want them to come into your office and work in your office, you can. So the difference here is you can find local people in your own city and it focuses around that. And you don't have to pay through Colas as a platform. We are not taking payment for the contracting work. The contractor deals directly with the business. Um, and so we're going to monetize oh, okay. it different. It's going to be monetized differently than how um, Upwork or Fiverr is because it's more of a contact list. And so I'm going to be making premium features um, Mm -hmm. to upgrade right. as instead for instead for making money through charging because there's a lot of issues there with currency um and also um insurances as well okay that that that's very interesting because there's a new competitor i can't remember what it what, what the name of it is but there's a new competitor coming out to upwork and fiverr that their point of difference is they're not charging any commissions at all which mm. when you're a creative looking for work and it's a very competitive field and it's very hard if you're a good creative to sort of stand out from the crowd because there's so many people charging, you know, cents and chips compared to everyone else. Um, so when you're, when you're not getting paid much and then someone's taking a 20% or 30% commission mm. off every dollar you make, even tips, that was something that I, I really took exception to. It's like I think Fiverr even takes commission off tips. And their reasoning yeah. for that was because otherwise people would just pay you through tips and then Fiverr wouldn't get the commission. So I understand that. But when you're creative and you're taking on contract work and it's not full-time work, taking yeah. a lot of commission, it just doesn't seem fair. I mean, is that fair to say? I mean, have you experienced the yeah, same sort of like, thing that I have? That's why Colas doesn't take any commission either. I'm curious to hear about this um, new startup though. You should link me. I don't think I've heard of them. Um, well, I, I will. I can't remember what it is, but there was um, there's a young woman who does copywriting. Her name is Alexandra Fasulo, and she's making four hundred thousand dollars a year, I think, of US of Fiverr. Um, so that's obviously wow. a huge chunk of money now. She's making millions of dollars because she got press coverage, and she's educating a lot of people now how to become freelancers on Fiverr. But this new startup has brought her on as sort of as an ambassador because, you know, no commissions. So I will I will find it later and I'll link you to it. Um, but I'm really I'm really it's interesting because I'm glad you said that about Colis because there's going to be a point of difference for you guys. A, no commission. And B, the, the th thought about bringing someone into the office is interesting for me because some work you don't really need people to come in because you just tell them what to do and they can get it done, doesn't matter where in the world. But design to me has always been one of those ones. I'd rather have a sit down meeting with someone so mm. that I can have the back and forth. It's very difficult for me in an email to say, this is what I want my website to look like. I want it to be blue. And then you as a designer go, well, what does that mean? 
blue like and so then you have spent all this time going back and forth so are there sorts of works like in your experience that it's better to have a sit down meeting for rather than sort of trying to do it through email okay the thing that i think is best to have a sit down meeting for is nutting out user experience design because i often do workshops with my clients where we basically nut out the whole workflow of their app or product and doing with that really can't be done virtual because you need that paper pen experience the whiteboard in front of you where yeah. you can really map yeah, yeah. the whole journey out um but another area that Coalis will focus on is like is in-house contracts so like some businesses might need someone for six months as a full-time mm. contractor for maternity leave or a creative agency might need someone for three months so there's that business opportunity as well as the freelance project is only one side of things, but when you look at in-house, in-house designers as well um, under a contract is also a part that Coalice will service. Oh, that's amazing. Okay, so uh, that's a startup. That's a design work. Um, in terms of what was I, what was I going to ask? I was going to. Uh, I forgot what I was going to ask because I've seen the next topic I wanted to talk to you about was actually chess. So why don't we segue to, I just got it here. So why don't we talk about chess? Because when you were sending your um, your bio to me, you mentioned chess and you described it in a particular way, which is escaping me at the moment. But can you give people, I don't think I've ever interviewed anyone who's mentioned the fact that they play chess. So what does chess mean to you? How did you get into chess? So I started playing chess because I wasn't very popular in primary school. So I often spent my lunch breaks in the library and there were a bunch of board games in the library and this was like grade two. And so I would just play random people at chess. And I remember that when I was like in grade two versing someone in grade seven and I actually won. <laughs> so <laughs> like it's kind of comes from what chess to me is, it's a strategy exercise and it also ties into strategy work with um, user experience design. And I think it's also a way to exercise our minds to think about that strategy side of things a bit more. And then the way I would describe it, it's, uh, you know, you're battling yourself against the error because if you make a mistake, then, you know, that's what you're fighting within yourself, but you're also against the other person and inverting their own wit. And it kind of becomes a game of who doesn't make a mistake. And that is the victor. And that's what I found when doing chess tournaments. It's it's trying it's trying really hard to not make a mistake and think of the way to get the upper hand on the other person. Um, but I also been playing um, online chess tournaments with chess.com and that was more just like something I really enjoyed doing as a hobby. Um, just like you play live games with everyone around the world. Um, it can be 10 minutes, it can be 30 minutes and yeah, it's just something I kept doing when I wanted to ha have like a break from my work and yeah. I I haven't played chess for a very long time. I found it a very, a very cerebral intellectual exercise. When I normally go to play games, I need my brain to switch off. I, I can't do that for chess. Otherwise I would just lose straight away. Uh, how, how often do you get to play chess? Is it a weekly thing, a monthly thing? Well, I used to go to the weekly chess tournaments, but I've taken a break because it was every Thursday night um, and I've taken a break to really focus on this world. Um, but I think it's more kind of, it just comes in phases of what I, if I feel like doing it or not. And, you know, you, you like two months of being really um, interested in something and doing it all the time. And then you're like, okay, what's mm. the next thing to focus on? When, when you go to play the tournaments in person, I, is it what what percentage is male and female just out of interest i have no idea uh, it's it's highly male but there's a few females right um do you is it does it feel good to to be one of the few females there and to beat some of the guys at their at their own sport it can be sometimes um there's also some really intelligent children there so like you see these like six-year-olds that are beating adults at chess. So it's honestly, it's just amazing to see all these kind of people that gather for this game and how like just how you just can't expect someone to, you just can't expect anything. Someone that you wouldn't expect to win, expect to win could really 
beat anyone. So no matter what your age or what gender, chess is about your ability to think and strategize. And um, there's no bias towards that. And when you play, I mean, I, I've seen it. I didn't play to a competitive level at all, but I've seen it on TV. Do you always have the clock? Is that how it goes? So there's something I think that's called speed chess, or there's certain times when you just play without the clock. How does that work? So when every tournament you have a clock, so the normal right. tournaments are you get an hour each. So it's quite a long game. Um, speed chess is where you might only have 10 minutes for the whole game. And you still have to write your, you write your moves down as well. So every time you make a move, you've got to write it down. Right. Okay. And which one do you prefer to play the, the speed variety or the one hour variety? On my phone, the speed variety, I just feel like I'm a lot better on a digital chessboard because I'm used to it. But when yeah. it came to playing on a real board, it just felt so different. And I didn't get that bird's eye view perspective. So if I'm playing with the board, it would be uh, the hour game. But if I'm playing on my phone, the five minute or 10 minute game. That's interesting because chess is such an old sport, but you prefer to, you're used to seeing it in a digital representation. Yeah. So it's like the new version of a very, very old game in a way. Yeah. Uh, now, Danica, oh, all the way back, yes, Miss Global Australia and my sister Queen is, that's right, Courtney Tester, Miss Intercontinental Australia. Thank you, Danica. Uh, Janice, who's over in Canada, has asked, have you seen The Queen's Gambit? Yes, I have. I really enjoyed watching that. It was uh, really good to see not only chess represented, chess represented on TV, but also a female chess player represented. And I wish that was based on a true story because it would have been very fascinating. What, what happened in the, I mean, I don't know if it's spoiler alert, but I've not heard of that movie. What happened in the movie? Was it based on chess, was it? It's a, it's a Netflix series. Um, it's about this female child oh. chess prodigy who basically becomes the world champion chess player. Um, but she's also battling her own mental struggles as well. Okay. All right. I'll have to look that one up. Um, when it comes to chess... Is there anyone that you have kind of looked up to as a role model of how to play chess? I mean, I ask because I, I play tennis and I taught myself how to play tennis. And obviously you grow up, you know, you, you pick your idols as to how they play and you try and emulate them. Did you have any idols when it came to learning how to play chess? No, when I was uh, like two years old, I, it was just a board game in the library. Mm. But I found, I definitely found Queen's Gambit really inspiring with the way that she played. Okay. Have you ever played against a computer when it comes to chess? Yes, but I don't really enjoy that because it, human minds are so different. Like human minds, mm. you can be a great chess player having a bad day. You can miss something. And it's that element of human error that makes a chess game exciting to me. So playing against a computer yeah. just isn't really exciting. Yeah, I can understand that. It, apparently now it's gotten to the point where the computer's basically will beat humans all the time. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't know if I like that. Um, I, similar to yourself, I'd rather play against a human than a computer, but they've gotten chess grandmasters in, I think, now to compete against these supercomputers and they the, the, the humans used to win. But now it's to the point where your computer, as you would understand, you work with computers all the time. A computer can think of a billion possible moves and you just really can't compete with that. So... Okay. Well, well, that's chess. Um, Ari, we'll move towards the close. Just before we get to the close, is there anyone that you want to give a shout out to or shout outs to for supporting you along your journey, pageantry, work-wise and otherwise? I want to give a shout out to my partner's business, Balance to You, because they're helping me with a charity event. We're doing a workout and meditation for charity hosted at their gym in Stafford. And yeah, I just really appreciate how they're coming, how everyone's coming together to support me with that. When is that event? Um, the 4th of July. Perfect. Okay. Um, and that will be, I'm assuming in the Brisbane area. Yeah. Right. Okay. So if you want to get involved with that, then, uh, send Ariel a message 4th of July, you're running it on independence day. So, oh, really? <laughs> although we're not American. Yeah, 4th of July is big Independence Day in America. Uh, okay, 
All right. Well, Ariel, we always finish with the same 10 questions, so let's get to it. It's not a speed round, but if you want to answer as quickly as possible, then go for it as well. So number one, what is your favourite word? Compassion, because it encompasses so much and can also have a big impact. And question two, what is your least favourite word? It's really hard to say. I don't really think of my least favourite word, um, but something my mum always does is she calls money petty cash. Um, and something just sounds weird about that. So, <laughs> I, There was someone, a friend, I can't remember who was saying it, but someone actually used the term petty cash the other day and I was surprised that businesses even still have petty cash. It isn't like literal, you know, literal money. I don't remember the last time I used actual money. Everything is card or contactless <laughs> now, especially after COVID. And apparently there's still businesses that have like a cookie tin filled with money and you have to write out, I don't know, some businesses are a little bit behind the time. Uh, question three, in life, what gets you excited? What turns you on? Beautiful design and also, you know, creating something beautiful as well. It could be something small, like organizing the pantry and just staring back at it, like, yes. It could be something like, you know, seeing a beautifully designed website, seeing a beautiful user experience and seeing good change in the world is a beautiful thing also. This is a slight, this might be a difficult question to answer, but what is the best piece of design or some of the best pieces of design that you've ever seen? when it comes to websites or apps? Yeah, that is a hard question to answer, but I think I've drawn a lot of inspiration from Airbnb because of their TED talk about designing for trust and how we must design in a way to create trust with the user. And initially they were selling basically strangers staying in other strangers' homes. And that doesn't sound mm. very trustworthy. And that was a big thing they had to overcome with design. That's fascinating. I was really interested to hear your answer to that question because now I want to go and look at, I didn't know Airbnb, was it a TED talk? Was it, was it their founder who did it? Or? Yeah, just go um, right. Airbnb designing for trust yeah. by one of, the, one of their founders, uh, co-founder. Yeah. Wow. Cause when you put it that way, like how strangers staying in strangers houses, it's like, that's, that's a very good point. So, so you want to yeah. somehow build that trust. Um, Uber is the same thing. It's like you getting into a stranger's car, which is what we were told not to do growing up as children. Don't get into mm. a stranger's car. And yet all of us do that now. Yeah. And, okay. And, and this is why these businesses have to have such good design because they're overcoming such mm. a big trust issue. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, question. So that was what turns you on. What turns you off? Well, I think it's safe to say bad design. Bad design. <laughs> when, when something is just done in a way that doesn't make any sense it's illogical and also just illogical illogical things in life where maybe it could be an illogical politician does something like you're like why what this law doesn't make any sense or um just yeah just seeing a bad logo even <laughs> well i'm not going to get you to, to shout out the worst logo you've ever seen but i mean do you, it, with your brain and the design work that you do how do you deal with mess? Are you, and I'm really interested to hear this, the answer, like, do you need everything to be organized and tidy at all times? Or is it the flip side and you're, you, you love your organized sort of mess? How, how does your brain filter messy or organized given what you do for your work? I definitely love things to look organized and, you know, be designed, like designed in, in a beautiful way. So I'd be like, I definitely love interior design and making my house look pretty and just making, I think organized things that make your life easier. It's easier to find something in the pantry if it's organized. It's easier to find your clothes if your closet is organized. But I in no way of neat freak, but it's good to have that initial initial organization and then you don't, you don't have to like have, do the dishes every night or something, but yeah. it's more about yeah. having that organized life. Yeah. Okay, got it. Um, can you just shout out like the best logo you've ever seen or what are some of the best logos you've ever seen? I won't get you to shout out the worst, but what are some of the logos that you really love? 
Well, I love looking at, you know, the biggest brands and their logos and the logic mm -hmm. behind those because a lot of logos have meaning that you wouldn't have otherwise seen. And I'm going to mm. use Airbnb as an example here again because their logo is a heart, a person, and I think an A also. So it's an A. It's a, a person. Like, I can't remember. And it's a heart. And that, to me, it's got a lot of meaning in it. So you just look oh, up wow. Airbnb never... logo meaning. I never realized that that's what it was. I mean, I've used Airbnb so much. I'll bring it up so people can see it. I didn't realize that's what the logo was. So here's the logo. I'll blow it up a little bit. Um, so there it is over here. So it's an A. Just go to and... go to images. Go to images and there's a breakdown. That's Airbnb. Right. Yeah. Just put okay. Airbnb logo logo meaning and, and great Got images. It. Put put meaning in there because it has the breakdown. Meaning. There it is. So you see that first image or the second image? You can see um, oh. yeah, the second one, I think is best. Um, it's a location People. icon. I was wrong, actually. People, yeah. location, um, and love, but love. It's, also an, it's also an A. I think they missed the A. Oh, this, the one below it has the A in it. That's fascinating. I had no idea. Wow, okay. There's a lot of hidden meaning and logos that you see every day. Like no one, like FedEx, there's a little arrow in there that you would never notice until someone points it out. That's fascinating. Or I really want to go and watch that TED talk now. I had no <laughs> idea that there was so much thought going on because sometimes people, when they are starting up their own business, they want to get a logo, right? And they obsess about it and fuss about it, but it's not a meaning behind it. It's just about colors and things like that. I had no idea that there was that much thought actually put into the Airbnb logo, which There's is There's actually which a, is a lot of thought. There's a lot of thought put into a lot of brands, but to have that kind of thought put into your logo, you need to have the budget to hire a designer that would put that thought into that logo. So it's not, those logos aren't like, like $5 logos or Fiverr, they're a professional mm. or a brand agency putting hundreds of hours into it to get there. Have you designed a logo for yourself? I have, um, but the one for my, I've designed actually lots of logos before, including the um, one for the Airbnb competitor I'm doing. Um, but the logo I've designed for myself is more based on a signature because I wanted it to feel very personal to me. So I've kind yeah. of done a, sign a signature based logo. It's on my website, um, ariobeninka.com. I, I can, I, I can see the little, the favicon is a little, oh, there it is up there. Oh, the little A. That's a, that's a nice signature you've got there. Yeah, up the it top is, left, yeah, yeah, the signature, yeah. Beautiful. Okay. Um, when it comes to fonts, do you deal much with different types of fonts? I mean, for design, I assume that's something that you work with on a consistent basis. Yes, definitely. Fonts are the most important part of a design because typography, typography really gives a lot of personality to the brand and it could be the difference between something being usable or not usable. So imagine using mm. uh, an app with Comic Sans, it just would not be pleasant. <laughs> and I'm not sure if you... <laughs> <laughs> Comic Sans always makes me laugh because people sometimes use it for things and I've, I've just never found a good place for Comic Sans. I just think it looks very unprofessional. <laughs> I don't well, know if you I, agree or not. It was designed for people with ADHD to read. Um, it definitely wasn't designed to be used um, the way it had been right. adopted. Okay, because okay. I have a friend who her obsession is with fonts and proper fonts like she she goes she's obsessed with typography so i just have to ask you do you have a favorite font i have many favorite fonts that i use like depending on what i'm working on um right the, my go my go-to fonts for brands is sophia pro because it's something that's a part of adobe type kit so i don't have to convince the client to buy a thousand dollar font because fonts can get really expensive. Um, a thousand a, dollar font. Yeah, like that's they that, cost that's a thousand. Really, oh my good. god! Not, I bought fonts yeah, before, yeah, but like, not for a thousand dollars. But when you think of business licensing, you gotta buy a font license for web, which is based off how many website views you've got. Sometimes, and you've got to buy the print font license, and it just all adds up. So right. some fonts, like if you look at Airbnb, they probably spent probably like hundreds and thousands of dollars on fonts over their time because they've actually they've actually made their own font they actually have one of the designers customize a font called circular uh, i don't know if they're still using it but 
Mm. Yeah, there's a lot that typography can get um, quite scaled up. Um, so that's something to consider as a designer. What's a good one I can use that the client that's in the client's budget? Right. Okay. I just remember my friend loved railway. She put me onto the railway font, and ever since then, I've been kind of obsessed with the railway font. So yeah, that's on just... um, Google fonts. The Google font, like everyone goes to Google fonts for the default because there isn't any licensing or anything involved, but. If you want a real standout brand, you can't really use a Google font. You need to find something more unique. Right. Okay. I feel like I'm learning so much here. All right. So we've done what turns you on, what turns you on. Question five is what sound or noise do you love? I love like my oil diffuser. It's just such a relaxing noise with the oil diffuser where the oil uh, have you ever seen? Have you ever heard an oil diffuser before? It's like a, I like have one a right there. Steam. Yeah, I have one right there, and you just kind of yeah. hear. It's like hearing steam, which you think sounds weird, yeah. but it's just a very it's faint like, hissing. But it also, but not a, it not also a... sounds like rain. Yeah, it's like a rainy steam. So you've got the bubbles of the water, it's like, and then you've got the steam. Mm. And maybe we've got different oil diffusers, so we don't. It's hard to tell. But oh, I've got, kind of no, I've got. <laughs> I've got a crappy cheap one. Uh, I, I should get a better one because I actually really love the smell of it, but I've just got a, a cheap, crappy one right here. So it, it, it looks yeah. like a little capsule. Yeah. I don't have one of those big proper ones that, you know, the, the giant ones that lights up because that's very soothing. Uh, it's very, okay. very soothing. It is. What sound or noise do you hate? I've, it's the kind of like chalkboard noise that makes my throat like to like feel weird like there's there's always those weird noises that like you're like uh. <laughs> like like it might not it might not even be something that you would normally expect but there's like those moments where you hear something and your entire body just like like, <laughs> like what, what was it has to stop whatever it is <laughs> <laughs> fair enough uh now janice here has a very good question and I'll be fascinated to hear your answer to this. Do you know if there's a point to wingdings? The wingding have, font. I've never heard of wingdings. Is that a font? <laughs> wingdings, if you go into Microsoft Word, it's literally a font where every key has turned into like some sort of random emoji. It's a very... <laughs> I, I don't know. I know what Janice is talking about. Like if you take a, a normal sentence and you convert it to Wingdings font, it just becomes bird, happy face, toilet, big X. It's just a very, very strange font. Um, it sounds like it's not meant for words. It's a glyph font. So I use glyph fonts all the time and I use them for icons and stuff. So they mm. also use for web and you can yeah. bring those in and, re and reference a letter and it becomes an icon of sorts. But I'm not a Windows user, so if it's a Windows thing, then I haven't been exposed to it. <laughs> Have you ever tried being a Windows user or you're just permanently in Camp Apple, Camp well, iOS? Well, I, I started off as Windows, as everyone, because, like, who can afford a Mac back in that day? Um, but, yeah, yeah I, fair enough. I was a Windows user until about 2011 when I could finally get a Mac. <laughs> because it's just and so, then you never looked back. A, so beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that that's one. It was music. It was creatives, basically, that swear by Apple all the time. Music, creatives, people who own design work, they all use Mac. I think that says a lot. Uh, okay, so we've done favorite sound, sound that you hate. Question seven, if you could have any one superpower, what would you pick and why? I've always, uh, have you ever seen an, an, a show called Avatar? And it was a cartoon back in the day. And I don't know if this counts as one superpower, but I always fantasized about controlling the four elements, uh, the water, fire, um, earth, and air. And yeah. yeah, so I probably, like I think about it, like that's, that's not a good idea to have that superpower in 2020 because it doesn't really help you in any way, but it would be really cool <laughs> if you could. <laughs> Could control the elements and freeze lakes and fly and all those things. That would be cool. I, I, I have. Are you talking about Avatar, like the the movie, or the? Because mm -hmm. there was another one, like Avatar Windbender, was it? Yeah, it's not a movie. Airbender. Um, it, it's a cartoon from Nickelodeon. Um, it's called Avatar: Last Airbender. Um, That's right. There was yes. a, there I know was what a you're movie from about. it. 
but it was a horrible movie. We don't think that exists anymore. Okay, that never happened. <laughs> it never um, happened. So the movie is not associated with Avatar: The Last Airbender at all. Um, and then there's the other Avatar with the blue people. Okay, all right. Because when you mentioned Avatar, I was thinking of the blue people, and I was like, no. "Are you? Are you?" <laughs> I can't remember any super, but I remember Avatar: Airbender. It's like, okay, that's what you're referencing. Okay, that makes yeah. more sense. All right. <laughs> the movie that we don't that never happened was it really that bad was it yeah oh my god it was horrible it, it was horrible everyone who's ever seen the uh the series is like yeah that didn't happen we don't talk about that i think it's one of the it worst be... movies ever made that's saying a lot because i sometimes go and watch um, movies based on video games and if you want to you know worst movies ever made i'd say games movies based on video games have to come pretty close to that because it's very hard to make a good movie out of a video game i now have to watch it just to see how bad it yeah. was you have to watch the nickelodeon cartoon series first, first to understand then... how bad that is okay all right what what uh, star rating would you give the movie out of five a one <laughs> oh, that's Negative being generous one. Okay, yeah. all right. Oh, dear. All right, question eight. What job or occupation other than your own would you most like to attempt? I've always wanted to become a fashion designer. Um, and one of the reasons why I love doing pageants is, you know, curating those outfits and styling them. Um, and I've always had a creative flair for designing clothes. And I don't really have room here for a sewing machine, but I would have loved to design and sew my own clothes for the Miss World. So I think, you know, when I'm in a better position and have more space to work with, I definitely want to yeah. attempt um, fashion design and start my own label. Amazing. Okay. Well, what job or occupation would you definitely not like to attempt? It's really hard because I don't really think about other people's jobs besides what I'm already doing. Um, like, I'm sure there's a lot of jobs that I really wouldn't enjoy. Um, I did try to become a back-end developer, but my brain just wasn't suited to that. Um, and I think, you know, sometimes some people are just really, like, good at things and there's just different people with different talents in the world. And if you don't have that talent, that wouldn't be a job suited to you and you don't enjoy it. And I don't think you should do something you don't enjoy. And there's plenty of things that I'm not suited to or don't enjoy. I think it's interesting your brain didn't work for the – didn't – like the back-end development because the back-end it, it's interesting i know it takes a different sort of mindset but um mm. that, that, that's interesting that it didn't it didn't work for you uh the most common answer i get to that is like pageant girls don't want to be garbage people that that seems to be the most common one they don't want to be the garbage man they said so i guess that makes a certain amount of I just, sense i just feel like there's worse jobs I, even than a garbage person just because like if you think about what would your mind hate doing versus like if you're just kind of mm. doing something like labor then it's kind of you don't really have to think yeah it's more just the smell right. would be really bad the smell would be horrible i'm i'm sure uh <laughs> final question if heaven exists what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? That's a hard one to answer as an atheist. Um, <laughs> uh, but I hear I you think, on that one. <laughs> yeah, it's like <laughs> I would be more happy if there wasn't a pearly gates. Than, but uh, I can't really think of something that I would like to hear him say because what I would really love is just for the world to be a better place and for some like just to know that you know we're all like god didn't create the suffering and there was not a god creating the suffering mm. in the world there's not a god dictating everyone's lives and that you know humanity is controlled by ourselves and it's up to us to you know fix the problems with the world and not rely on a deity or blame a yeah. deity for any of the problems yeah i hear you on that one just out of interest do you believe in fate or destiny um, not quite. I believe that, you know, the universe is the universe and it exists and that's an amazing thing. And mm. our destiny and fate is to ourselves. There's no nothing divine controlling the future. It's what we make of it. Yeah. 
yeah i i think i pretty much agree with you on that one but to each their own right whatever you believe i say practice what you yeah. preach <laughs> so and be kind to everyone always uh well ariel that's about it thank you so much for coming on and thank you for your time perfect thank you so much for having me i appreciate it I'll keep you on the line for just a sec, so don't hang up with me whilst I hang up with the audience. Uh, but thanks to everyone for watching, and we will speak to you next time. Bye for now. Thanks for watching. Bye. Just a reminder to you entrepreneurial types to come and join us at our Facebook group, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash the pageant boss. I'll see you inside and see you in the next episode.